Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and happy Monday. It is, according to the Government of Canada, the day on which the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is observed. Now, I don't get the day off for this. It's not a statutory holiday. I realize that a lot of government bureaucrats are, which is why it was all the more noteworthy that the CRTC, the regulator of telecommunications in Canada, decided to drop its little bombshell of regulatory expansion on the Friday before what is to the government a long weekend. Welcome to the Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. The CRTC, which is the one that makes sure you get more Justin Bieber and Celine Dion in your diets, the one that thinks you need more Little Mosque on the Prairie and less of whatever you want to be watching, has decided to take its stab at regulating online discourse. We knew this was coming. This is a great series of powers that were bestowed upon the CRTC by the Liberal government under Bill C-11. It nominally takes all of the Canadian content requirements that exist for radio and TV and dumps them onto the internet. So we get more Indigenous content on Netflix, more French content on Netflix, more French Indigenous content on Netflix, more of that uh, CBC show where a gender non-binary tomato was explaining pronouns or colonialism. I think I'm mixing up two shows. There was one of those CBC shows where we were like lectured about colonialism by a tomato. I think the non-binary one might have been some. Maybe it was like a non-binary host that was helping the tomato lecture us. But this is like, I shouldn't even have to know this. I only know this exists because CBC has decided this is important. So this is what we need to see more of once the government takes hold of your algorithm. I've often joked on this that I don't believe for a second that Justin Trudeau would pass a law that would give you more True North content. But we are as Canadian as it comes. We are rock-ribbed, true blue Canadian content. We bleed red and white. I don't think that True North is ending up on the winning side of Bill C-11. You never know. We will judge it when we get there. But let me let you in on a little secret. We don't want to be. We want to be able to compete for views the same way anyone else does in a free market environment, which the world of internet content was supposed to be. So I'm telling you now, the era of the open internet has come to an end. We are seeing at the very least the beginning of the end of it with this announcement. It starts with the CRTC uh, saying it is helping modernize. That's uh, the term they use, modernizing the broadcast system. I don't know if we have a screen grab of the website here, but CRTC has set its threshold for online streaming services. And they have a little checklist, registration, for online streaming services. They say the criteria are the three following things. If you operate in Canada, if you offer broadcasting content, by which they mean any content, and if you earn $10 million or more in annual broadcasting revenue. So those three things must mean you have to, in the CRTC's view, register with the government. Now, what are you registering for? Oh, well, it's uh, just so that you can provide information about your activities in Canada. If you say it with a menacing German accent, it sounds a little bit different, but uh, you will provide information about your activities 
cities in Canada. That is what the CRTC wants. They want to see all of these uh, organizations' uh, documents. They want them to register their address. And eventually, this is going to be the pool from which they draw their inspiration for how to slap down regulations for non-compliance. Operating in Canada just means you are visible and accessible to Canadians. So YouTube, Netflix, Spotify, these are not Canadian companies, but they operate in Canada. Operating broadcasting content, offering broadcasting content, I should say, uh, that simply means is content available. And you earn $10 million or more in annual broadcasting revenue. So this is the big players. Now, let me say firsthand, I wish to the high heavens for monetary reasons that True North and the Andrew Lawton Show were going to be caught up on this. We are not a $10 million a year organization. Maybe in time we will be, who knows. But I also am less, I'm less convinced that this is as exculpatory as the government wants us to believe. $10 million is... Uh, really the budget of a relatively small media organization by the standards of what these multinationals can rake in. The Daily Wire, which I'll hold up as a useful example in a couple of moments for a number of reasons, I believe I last saw brings in about $100 million a year. Now, it's a streaming service that is predominantly American in nature. Well, it has an audience of, of people around the world. But Daily Wire, would be caught up under this. Now, I, I tried to get Ben Shapiro to weigh in on this. I, I sent him a little message on Twitter. I haven't heard back from him yet. I'm curious how Daily Wire is going to deal with this because uh, it is an organization that checks all the boxes off. It operates in Canada, it offers broadcast content, and it earns 10 million or more in annual broadcasting revenues. Now, maybe there's a technicality there about how their money comes in, but Daily Wire Plus, which is a, a streaming service that I, I know is very popular, even among a lot of True North audience members, uh, Daily Wire Plus would have to, under this, register with the Canadian government. They would have to register with the Canadian government because, and here's where it gets interesting. I was looking at Michael Geis' commentary on this. He's one of the preeminent internet lawyers in Canada, a very vocal critic of Bill C-11. Michael Geis just pointed out that the CRTC has not uh, excluded from its definition individual content creators on self-hosted websites. So we think of streaming services as being places that basically offer a catalog of other people's content. Like on Spotify, I can go if I'm so inclined and listen to the latest Celine Dion tracks. I can listen to the Andrew Lawton show. I can listen to Joe Rogan. I can do all of that. And I, those are, I mean, that's a weird day if you're like popping from Celine Dion to Andrew Lawton to Joe Rogan. I recommend you start with Joe Rogan uh, and do an interlude of Celine Dion and then, you know, round it all off with the Andrew Lawton show. But you can mix and match. You can even take a, a break as I stop through the segments to hear my heart will go on. You can even do it perhaps in both official languages if you'd like to. But that's the whole point. You as a user get to decide. And you don't get to decide anymore when the government is forcing these companies to manipulate their algorithms. When I mentioned that catalog, YouTube is a, a vehicle by which you can access content from around the world. On Netflix, you can watch a Canadian show, a Spanish show, a Norwegian show, a Danish show. You get that choice. But what if you are self-hosting content? Rebel News, for example, has a paywall. Much of its content is self-hosted. That, based on my reading of Bill C-11, makes it a streaming service. 
Daily Wire Plus is a streaming service. True North, we at this point post most of our content on Facebook uh, and YouTube. Uh, well, Facebook to a, a lesser degree now, but this maybe will immunize us from it. But we know two things. The government has not excluded self-hosting publishers. The government has not excluded individuals, despite their claims to the contrary. And the government has not excluded online news services. So we have a massive expansion here. This $10 million threshold may be the threshold the government uses right now for deciding which news outlets it wants or which media providers or streaming services it wants to register now. But we're talking from this point on about a matter of degrees. They could very easily lower that threshold. What if they get everyone to register and they only apply really restrictive measures or expectations on ones over 10 million? So let me go back to the Daily Wire. Daily Wire is a company that could probably survive and thrive without needing to worry about the Canadian market. Daily Wire, and I am completely speculating here, I have no inside knowledge of what decisions they'll make, if any, is probably as an American-focused entity relatively unconcerned with foreign regulations. It would be easier for them to just not operate in Canada than it would be to bend over backwards to put some indigenous non-binary show on there. Although, boy, would I love to see Ben Shapiro try that one. Uh, to put some indigenous non-binary show on uh, just to comply with this weird Canadian content regulation. Maybe they're fine. Maybe Jordan Peterson's show, which is on Daily Wire, constitutes enough Canadian content and we can all just uh, head for the hills and not need to worry about this. But What's happening here is the government is, despite its claim that this is all just about bolstering Canadian content, making values judgments. The, uh, the upside of this, the upshot, I should say, definitely not upside, the upshot of this is that if they deem an outlet, even a foreign outlet, to be in non-compliance, there will have to be some sanctioning that takes place or some blocking where all of a sudden a Canadian cannot access certain types of content that the government has deemed to be unapproved. So we are going to see unequivocally, unequivocally, we are going to see if this bill follows to its logical conclusion, some form of censorship. This isn't just about modernizing and, and whoever came up with the modernizing catchphrase in the CRTC is attempting to put more lipstick on a giant pig-shaped turd than I have ever seen anyone try to do. This is not modernizing. When was state control ever something that we called modernity? When, how did state control, how did nationalizing internet content become something that we can just spruce up and call modern? This is absolutely an attempt for the federal government of Canada, the bureaucracy, Justin Trudeau, you name it, to seize control of what you see and access on the internet. And there are some players like Netflix, which are large enough that they can navigate these global regulatory environments and will, because for the most part, it's not that big a deal. But there are a lot of other people that will not be able to. I mentioned Daily Wire as one obvious example. What about Rumble? Rumble is a video platform that has made a name for itself as a pro-free speech platform. Now, it's not the Wild West. Rumble will still, uh, in compliance with American regulations, take down copyright infringing content under the, the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Rumble will comply with you know, basic regulations. Uh, Chris Pavlovsky, who is the head of Rumble, who is 
himself Canadian, has tweeted about this saying it is uh, basically a disaster. He has uh, expressed a view on this that I think is an incredibly reasonable one for someone who is in the online publishing business. And he writes, Canada is no longer part of the free world. As a Canadian, I've never been more embarrassed than I have been in the past few weeks. Elon Musk himself has also jumped in on this. He has said of the CRTC's threshold announcement that Trudeau is trying to crush free speech in Canada, calling it shameful. Uh, Twitter, uh, another great example of this, is a streaming service by a lot of metrics because it offers video content. Will X, I should say, not Twitter, will X go along with these regulations? Will it have to? So the government could be bluffing. I have a very hard time believing that they have even the capacity, let alone the interest in banning Canadians from visiting X websites, from watching Rumble videos, from watching Daily Wire, from doing all of this other stuff, but who knows? The whole point of this, the underlying point of this is that the government feels it should control internet content. Everything else is a matter of degrees and everything else is a matter of good graces and just hoping the government won't use this power on which it's bestowed itself for evil. Well, let me just say I do not trust it in the least. Every Monday, we like to check in with our friend Chris Sims of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. This is not a simulation. She is here in the flesh, well, virtually anyway. Chris, always good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, Andrew, thanks for covering this. You know, we cannot understate the importance of this. And, and, you know, the CRDC can spruce it up as much as they want. They can talk about modernizing. They can talk about bolstering Canadian content. But at its core, not even incidentally, at its core, Bill C-11 and the regulations that follow are about government manipulating what Canadians can see online and, by extension, what people can publish online. Yes. Uh, and I think sometimes, because uh, you've been in both, you know, mainstream media for a long time, alternative media, and now what this is, um, I think those of us who've been in the game for this long, sometimes uh, don't realize that normal people don't realize how powerful the CRTC is. Okay. Uh, the CRTC regulates broadcasting. So think of your mainstream networks, things like CTV or CBC in some cases, global. That includes radio as well, by the way. And through doing that, if you run afoul of CRTC regulations as they interpret it, keep in mind, there's always an argument. If you run afoul of CRTC regulations and they get mad enough at you, they will pull your broadcasting license. And the, the sentence that concerned me most in this release that, as you rightly point out, was put out on a Friday before a government long weekend was online services that offer podcasts must register. So to your point, YouTube, Spotify, any of the others, Apple, any of the other online services that host a podcast like this one must now register. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Do they need to give the CRTC a list of all of the podcasts that are going to be there? And then after that, are all those podcasts monitored? to see if they run afoul of any CRTC regulations. This is where we're getting to the crux of free expression. And this is why the Canadian Taxpayers Federation was fighting tooth and nail against C11. Because if you can't express yourself freely and air ideas that might be controversial or not in line with government narrative, it's impossible to hold your government to account. You have no voice. So this is why people outside of media 
really need to take this seriously. They got to phone their MP. Just to build off of your point, Chris, on the CRTC, you worked for Sun News Network, mm -hmm. as I, I know a lot of our uh, viewers will be well familiar with. And, you know, in the end, Sun News Network lives on in spirit through independent online media. We had Ezra Levant found the rebel in the wake of it. We've had uh, True North, which uh, was founded by Candace Malcolm, who I know was also very involved in, in Sun. A lot of the personalities have, have popped up in all of these other fora. Sun News died in large part because of the CRTC, because the CRTC would not issue the same treatment that Sun News wanted that everyone else in media got in Canada. That was the issue. It wasn't that Sun wanted special treatment. It was that Sun wanted equal treatment. And, and just imagine the CRTC exercising that same level of judgment and latitude on online media services, where CBC Gem is going to get one treatment from CRTC in a way, and I, I don't know Rebel News' financials, but let's say Rebel makes $10 million a year or fits the criteria, the criteria change, whatever. Uh, is CBC Gem gonna get the same shake from the CRTC as Rebel News? Absolutely not, because we know how CRTC has treated CBC versus Sun News. Yes, exactly. And to give you an example, uh, to your point, we were asking for what was called a mandatory carriage, which wouldn't have incurred any cost to taxpayers, but it was a, a carriage service that the CRTC had given to all the other news networks. Okay, it had given it to CBC News World, as it was called back in the day, CTV News Channel, BNN, which is the business news network, all sorts of Canadian networks had been given mandatory carriage for years on end. Sun News Network had said, hey, we literally had our desks made in Calgary. All of our reporters are reporting from Canada. We even cover local elections, right, in Canada. We are Canadian, as you said before, as maple syrup. Um, and they still said no, and we got shut down. And you run into this problem when you're dealing with government control of broadcasting. And I can hear some of the folks right now, uh, especially in government saying, oh, well, safety, alluding to those things. I'm gonna hit stop on that right now because it is already illegal to distribute or talk about or promote horrific things like terrorism or keep the kids out of the room, images of child sex abuse, okay? You cannot do that. Those are against the criminal code of Canada for a good reason. We are not talking about that. That would be an issue to take up with the Minister of Justice. No, C-11 is the Minister of Heritage. This is about content and judgment of Canadian content. The issue here is, a human being is judging what is and is not worthy Canadian content. And this is not a right or left issue. If I could just reach out to, as the late President Ronald Reagan used to say, our friends on the left, imagine you're back in the early 2000s. Imagine that the United States is gearing up to invade Iraq. Remember then, back in Canada, a lot of the protests, Andrew, you might recall, were organized online. They were internet chat groups and blogs. It was before the days of podcasting and they were all open. Everybody could read them. This was part of the open internet and they formed massive protests against Canada's participation in that war. They had a huge protest on Parliament Hill, all organized online through communications. A few days later, then Prime Minister Cretchen stood up and said, you know what? We're sitting this one out. No, thanks. Imagine if the government of the day found that to be problematic. 
and didn't want that content promoted, what would have happened? Mm -hmm. So if, if you're fine with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's judgment of everything and you're one of those voters, okay, put your shoe on the other foot. Imagine if Pierre Polyev were Prime Minister. Would you want his government dictating what you can and can't see online? You shouldn't. I think you're right about that. And I, I would also talk about the unintended consequences here, or maybe intended. Hmm. I, I, this actually came up in a housing context recently. So Italy as a country, for whatever reason, I, I don't know, has a policy of reciprocity, where if uh, an Italian citizen would be prohibited from buying property in a foreign country, someone from that country will be prohibited from buying property in Italy. Hmm. And you, you take what's a very reasonable approach on its face. Italy's fine letting foreign investment run uh, run rampant in the country. But if your country is going to ban Italy, Italians from doing it, they're going to ban Canadians. And uh, how I learned about this was because Canada has put in restrictions on foreign home ownership, and Italy is now looking at how to respond to that, I'm told. But just take that and put it into a content lens. Canada believes that we need to start uh, basically restricting the inflow of foreign media content to Canada. That's their that's their stated purpose. So that's not even like a conspiratorial thing. That's their deliberate reason. If I were a country that is wanting to export its media productions, why on earth would I ever want to import Canadian content in this? Well, if Canada is banning, you know, Money Heist, which is a Spanish show, or Borgen, which is Denmark, and by banning, I, I mean restricting it and throttling it, why would those countries want to import Canadian content? So we're really taking this form of entertainment protectionism here, which hmm. uh, Canada would never settle for if another country were to do it to us. That's a great point. We could easily get into that sort of tit-for-tat war just on the cultural entertainment level. We're talking about, you know, sitting back and chilling with Netflix for a little bit, as they say. Um, when you talk about news content and information sharing, again, things get pretty twisted pretty fast. I'll give you a perfect example, and it's right within the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Uh, we call the carbon tax a carbon tax. We don't call it a fee. We don't call it a price on pollution or whatever else the government calls it. The government gets super mad at us for that. Like they get really ornery over it. And especially when we point out that it's not reducing emissions and that people on average are paying out more than they get back. That's in direct contradiction to what the government message is. They've gone so far as to call it, I think they've called us misinformation. Don't think it's been disinformation so far. Do a thought process. Imagine then that they decide that misinformation is no longer allowed under CRTC content rules. Mm -hmm. Guess what? We can't have conversations about the carbon tax anymore then. Like, folks, this is really important. And if you don't care about the carbon tax, pick whatever issue is most important to you and apply that lens. This is why we need free expression in Canada. We need to be able to air out our issues and we need to be able to talk to each other so we can organize and push back on government based on our topics. This is a major, major threat to that. Well, I'm glad you bring up the misinformation aspect here, Chris, because I, I feel one of the most important aspects of this is that we can't look at all of the liberal government's internet regulations in isolation. There's a whole suite of them that are being uh, pushed through right now. We have C11 and C18, which have passed. We also have the uh, Online Hate Act, which is going to be reintroduced at some point. And then there's going to be another online safety uh, component, which may or may not be part of it, that I've been talking about. And we see examples of this in the UK 
and EU. So we know how the Canadian government is being informed and influenced. And as I've talked about on the sh on the show in the past, the most dangerous thing about this is that they're lumping all of these so-called online harms under one regulatory banner, which is just harm. And within mm -hmm. that, they're having hate speech, misinformation, child pornography. And if you stand up and say, ah, you know, I don't like this, they're going to say, well, you're an apologist for child pornography. Like that's going to be the debate uh, when, when we already have laws on that. And if we need to strengthen those, let's absolutely do it. But all of this is incredibly important. And I'm glad you brought it up, Chris, because the government is basically trying to extend its net to yeah. capture all of these outlets. The forced registration is not benign. It means that all of a sudden there's a designated contact person so that when all of these other things pass, they know who they have to talk to at each company to get content taken down. Correct. And to your point, this could affect, based on what you were reading, this could affect the standalones, as you've described, if you're self-hosting. But also keep in mind, how much of a headache do you think these big guys, these big tech companies that do platform these podcasts, how much of a headache do you think they want? Like, mm -hmm. you really think that they want to put up with constant phone calls from the CRTC because they're giving like a relatively tiny Canadian voice, a tiny Canadian podcast? No, they just won't bother. Look at what's happened with C18. This is why when you go to Facebook, you can no longer post or paste a news link anymore. Because before it was a fight between the government of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and big tech. And big tech said, no, we are not going to pay media organizations based on links that are posted on our sharing platforms. Well, they called their bluff and now they no longer allow those links to be posted because they don't want to pay that fee. Extrapolate this down the road and apply this new element that's coming out here with C11. And keep in mind to your point that this is not happening in isolation. So we've got all of this happening with online content whether it's podcasts or whatever this would be called, an online show, whatever you want to call it, typically called alternative media. Okay, they're doing that. At the same time, the government is funding mainstream media now, and it's not just the CBC. Yes, the CBC gets more than $1.2 billion from taxpayers every year. So it is government-funded media. They're also paying mainstream media, and the last report we saw out of our great good journalists out of Blacklock's Reporter, who do excellent work and have their own independent website, is that the mainstream media is looking to double its payment coming from the government. This is why journalists mustn't be paid by the government, because you can't hold somebody to account if you're counting on them for your paycheck. So mm -hmm. this is happening on one side. They're going on to government payroll. And on the other side, in what we would call independent media, we're getting more and more severe restrictions. Let's take that C18 comparison a, a step further if okay. we can, Chris, because I, I agree entirely predictable. I don't blame Meta for making the decision it made. I blame the government for you know forcing it and not listening to them be honest about what they were going to do. The, the one silver lining for an independent media outlet like True North is that when Meta says we're going to ban links to your website, we still have our website. And we spend mm -hmm. a lot of time and effort building up our own mailing list, telling our audience, please go to our website directly, join our email list so we can communicate with you directly. When we talk about what CRTC is doing, so, so those companies were offering a way to promote our content. The companies that the CRTC is going after under C11 are the companies that actually 
hold the content in some ways. So uh, they're actually talking about websites where the podcast is hosted, which means there is no direct way for the consumer to circumvent that. Once they're gone, they're gone. And if some of these companies, like Rumble is a great example. Rumble has an ideological commitment to this. So I could understand them not wanting to play by Canada's rules and saying we are effectively blocking access to our platform in Canada. And if you're a, a Russell Brand or a Steven Crowder whose show lives on Rumble, boom, that show's gone. Yes, exactly. And then what happens next, right? I've noticed that they keep pushing more and more, like the goalposts keep moving farther mm -hmm. down the field. So do a little thought experiment, and this is speculation, but it's based on <laughs> observation of the government's behavior. And, you know, I don't care what color jersey they're wearing. This is not a liberal conservative thing. I'm talking about the federal government that happens to be in charge right now. I'd be saying the exact same thing if this were a conservative government pulling this nonsense. So take that thought experiment an extra step. What happens then if they decide to go after self-generated, self-hosted content in a way that, hey, your server should no longer be hosting you because your server now needs to comply as a broadcaster well, under the CRTC? That is not that much of a jump away from uh, a big podcast hosting website like Apple or YouTube. Well, and that was the the thing that happened with Parler. Now, I, yes. I used Parler when it first launched and didn't really do much with it, but uh, that was a, an outlet that uh, ultimately was taken offline by its web host. And, and, you know, at that level of web host, I'm told there are only a handful of companies that even provide the service. So if all of them are playing ball with these government regulations, uh, the government would have access to the kill switch. Exactly. And so again, this is why. So for example, if you're, you know, want lower taxes, less waste and more accountable government, the way we do here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we do our own podcast. We put our podcasts out on all sorts of these platforms. Again, this is not even a thought experiment. It's come directly from the federal government. If the federal government decides that calling it a carbon tax and telling people the truth, saying on average, you're paying more than you get back from the government, if they decide that is now misinformation and no longer allowed, what then, folks? What then? And if you're, the CTF isn't your cup of tea, pick whatever issue is important to you. If, for example, you're opposed to the gun grab, right, the seizure of lawfully owned firearms by law-abiding by law people, and they have their own podcast, but the government decides for whatever reason that they don't like it and it violates this certain list of rules. Again, this is where it becomes really problematic. And 100%, if you actually violate the criminal code in Canada, it doesn't matter if you're on a podcast, you're going to get in deep trouble, right? You're going to have to face a jury of your peers or a judge, etc. You wind up in the justice system. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about expression through the Canadian Heritage Ministry and through the CRTC, which is again why I strongly recommend people read uh, Professor Michael Geist on this. Mm -hmm. He's a brilliant academic. He does deep dives and a lot of thinking on this. He's been in the room apparently uh, when they've tried to discuss these topics when they're drafting this legislation so he can see where the puck is going. And in all earnestly, all honesty, contact like left-wing podcasts too say, folks, do you want to live under this kind of regulation coming from the federal government? Probably not. And link arms and defeat this stuff.
Yeah, and there have been some left of center groups that have been sounding the alarm on this, and I'm very glad for it, but I, I think we need a lot more. And uh, basically, this is, I mean, I hate that old Niemöller quote that's like adapted to every stupid context, but you know, first they came for the podcasters does seem appropriate here. Uh, Chris Sims, Alberta Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And I don't, I don't know if we've announced it, so maybe we can announce it now. You're going to be, uh, are you coming to our event? I'm not sure yet. I'm trying to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope to uh, to see you there. Uh, either way, anyone should come to that event. October 21st, True North Nation in Calgary. Chris Sims, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. All the best to you, Chris. And yeah, let me just say before we move on to our next topic and guest here that uh, this is an incredibly important thing. And I, I think a lot of Canadian outlets will go along with the regulations because they have to or feel they have to. But I'm very concerned about what non-Canadian outlets, which look, let's be real, if you are global in nature, it's not hard to make $10 million a year in the media industry, especially if you're in the US market, the UK market, the EU. I mean, you pick any one or two of those. And that's going to be uh, incredibly dangerous. I keep going back to the Daily Wire because they're an example of one that really wouldn't by any reasonable measure care about what Justin Trudeau wants them to do. But I got to say, there's a part of me that would love to see Ben Shapiro do like the woke Justin Trudeau approved content just to like check the box on the CRTC regulations. So uh, let's all start a petition and uh, get uh, Daily Wire Plus to register with the CRTC just for the laughs. But uh, nevertheless, we will carry on with this as the week progresses and try to get a bit more clarity about what this is going to look like. Uh, this is uh, obviously the death of free speech is incredibly important, but it is an issue that pales in comparison to some of the very real and very mounting deaths that are taking place across the country because of MAID, the euphemistic name for doctor-assisted suicide, which is quickly making Canada a very unlikely and I would say unpleasant capital around the world, even more than many places in Europe. And when you compare the Canadian story to that of, say, California, it is particularly egregious that this has been something that Canadians have embraced, except maybe not. The Canadian government seems to be putting forward an approach on this that is incredibly liberal and incredibly open, but Canadians are even generally socially progressive Canadians, uh, finding themselves a little bit uncomfortable with the status quo. Certainly as we move to further this liberalization by expanding assisted dying to those who have solely mental illness, as we have stories of people whose issues are not even medical in nature, but uh, to do with housing or uh, inequality or poverty, this was put under the microscope in a fantastic, but I, I will also say chilling piece in the National Review by Alexander Rakin, How Death Care Pushed Out Healthcare. Alexander joins me on the line now. It's good to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to be on. So, I mean, you've written about this in the past, and this is one of these issues. I mean, the Freedom Convoy was one. These internet regulations we were talking about are one. But this issue is one that I'm getting people that I know from around the world coming to me and saying, what's going on in your country? Is, is that similar to reaction you've seen from National Review readers? Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, the earlier uh, speakers said that if you violate the criminal code, you'll face repercussions. There's an exemption to it. If you're a physician in Canada who provides medical assistance in dying, um, you don't face any repercussions for talking or even violating the criminal code. Uh, so one of the cases that I talk about is a patient who was, it's a, a group of physicians flippantly discussing um, sedating a patient into maid. 
this would be unthinkable just a couple of years ago. And yet, no repercussions, no investigations, no apologies. Um, and this is part of, part of the course uh, for how MAID functions in Canada. One of the things, and you touched on this, and I, I'm glad you did because it's often missing from the story, is that there is the letter of the law and the letter of the regulations, and then there's the actual practice on the ground. And it's long been established, even when made restrictions were fairly stringent in nature, that there were situations where these rules were being bended, where capacity rules, eligibility rules were. And if you keep that pattern in place and you expand the regulations, it stands to reason that uh, it will become even more permissive as time goes on. Exactly. Every day in 2021, and I'm saying 2021 because we're still waiting on the 2022 data, but every day in 2021, more than 29 Canadians died by the hands of their physicians or nurses. That's double the official suicide rate. If we were talking about any other group of people, if we were talking about any um, other people besides people with disabilities um, who were being impacted by this, this would be a national tragedy. And yet, I don't really see this being reported in mainstream media in Canada. No, and, and I, I'm kind of curious about this, and I, I'm not second guessing your approach to publish it in an American outlet, but I'm wondering why you think Canadian media has not been as interested to do this deep dive. That's a good question. I mean, we definitely know that there is an element of bias in all of this. Uh, CBC, uh, they had a pretty good investigative report on the Fifth Estate uh, that looked into all the ways that MAID was falling short in Canada. And yet, unlike other Fifth Estate investigations, it was never pushed on CBC's website. It was only on cable, which is pretty jarring. Now, like they have other reports that are pushed to their uh, uh, to their online newspaper. And yet with MADE, for some reason, editors decided not to do that. Um, and you can see this throughout the whole gamut of conversations around MADE. One of the things that, that I found interesting was situating Canada in the global context, because I used to, when this issue came up, look to the Netherlands and Switzerland, I think, and be like, oh, although like we're, we're never going to, I don't know if I would have ever said we're never going to be like that, but I, I certainly would have said we're far off from that. Whereas I, how would you actually, having done the, the research and the legwork, rank Canada against some of those really permissive approaches to this in Europe? Oh, I mean, we already have the largest and most permissive assisted suicide program in the world. Um, in the Netherlands and Belgium, they have additional safeguards where if a patient wants to apply for euthanasia or assisted suicide, they have to at least try some acceptable tr level of medical treatment first, right? This is a very commonsensical safeguard. In the Netherlands, physicians would not push made onto patients. And yet we have stories of exactly that. In the Netherlands, there are review processes. There are no such review processes in Canada. So it's, I mean, we're already far ahead. I mean, just look at the numbers, right? Between, you know, over a span of seven years, we're on track to have a 13-fold increase in the number of euthanasia and the number of deaths from euthanasia. We have never seen that anywhere in the world. Amanda Act, actually, Sean, if you could get that picture that I, I sent you from Amanda Actman in the, the queue, I, I want to show that in a couple of moments here, because I'll, I'll ask you about where you think this goes from here, because I, I do feel like the government, when it loosened the restrictions and, and put that change in place, on the mental illness aspect that was a turning point and that was what moved this 
from a lot of like into a, a territory where a lot of people were very uncomfortable with this and even people that you wouldn't call social conservatives or or pro-life activists do, do you see that continuing or do you think like anything else people will talk about it for a couple of moments and then kind of forget about it and move on i don't think people are going to be able to forget about this or move on i mean just look at the just look at the disability community you have over 140, over 140 disability organizations nationwide saying that the latest expansion to MAID was a direct threat to their lives, over 140. You have the United Nations, uh, several human rights experts at the United Nations condemning Canada for expanding MAID to those who are not terminally ill. And even those who are terminally ill are dying at a later stage than in other jurisdictions. So it, it's it's pretty fascinating to think about this, right? We had over, again, over 140 disability organizations, pretty much every single major disability organization in Canada made a firm statement against MAID. You had another letter that came out uh, earlier this year. And yet the reaction from Canadian media has been pretty abysmal. And the reaction from the government has been even less. So I, I don't think that people are gonna be able to forget this or move on. Um, when we're talking about the massive normalization that certain lives are not worth living. Amanda Actman, who's a, a pro-life uh, advocate and, and speaker, I forget where she's based now. She, she's moved around. She shared this image that I, I wanted to uh, show you in the audience. This is a, an 88-year-old woman from Calgary named Christine Nagel who, if you can make that out, had never had a tattoo in her life, but at 88 got tattooed on her arm, don't euthanize me. And you can say it's a bit cheeky and uh, feisty. Sorry, she's 81, not 88. My apologies. You can say it's a bit cheeky and feisty, but you know, at a certain point, there must be some people that genuinely live with a, a sense of fear that their life will be ended when they're no longer in a position to say, I, I don't want this. Right. I mean, the impact is not just on physicians who are being censored, and we can discuss that, or hospitals that are effectively being defunded because they're choosing healthcare over death care. Um, the largest impact is on patients. Patients like Rachel, who I spoke to um, and I talk about in my piece. She's someone who is someone with disabilities. She has chronic disabilities. She has a chronic pain condition. Um, she has depression. And yet when she tried to get help, for her depression by calling suicide hotlines, she was instead being advised to look up Dying with Dignity Canada. Like, think about what that means. You call a suicide prevention hotline and instead you're getting recommended ways for you to die from assisted suicide. And she said, and I'll, I'll read this quote, I've been afraid, you know, over those last couple of years to go to just my local hospital because I was afraid that if any doctor either brought up MAID themselves or met my kind of ambivalent desire for MAID, all I needed was a push and I'll be dead right now. What she ended up needing to do was to purchase a bus ticket for an, an hour, like for an hour and a half away. She had to go all the way to Toronto to CAMAGE, which is a mental health hospital, the largest mental health hospital in Canada um, that does not allow MAID on site in order for her to attempt to get healthcare. And we know how broken the healthcare system is. So it doesn't seem to be kind of a coincidence that you have the largest expansion of euthanasia ever seen in the world in a voluntary euthanasia system happening at the same time that Canada's healthcare system is disintegrating.
Well, it's a, a very important story, and you, you've touched on Rachel's story and many others in the uh, feature you wrote for the National Review, which is in this month's issue, and also online, How Death Care Pushed Out Healthcare. Alexander Rakin, uh, very good work on this, and thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. And I will also point out to people, we have coming up later this week, uh, I believe, debate on uh, a private member's bill from Ed Fast, which we'll have a story on later at tnc.news, which is attempting to roll back at the very least the mental illness aspect of this, which, uh, as you know, if you are familiar with my story as a suicide survivor, is very near and dear to my heart. And I'll perhaps uh, talk about that a little bit more in detail for those who haven't heard the story. But uh, I try not to end on such a dire note. I should have just gotten like a picture of like a kitten riding a unicycle or something to uh, play us out. But I uh, do have some laughs. The world is a dark and dismal place, but uh, we only fight through that in joy and laughter. So I try to find the lighter side of even the darkest topics we talk about here, uh, which is to say that maybe the left would have loved it if made were around uh, when I was going through my troubles. There, I can make a joke about my own suicide take that. Uh, We will wrap things up there. My thanks to you all for tuning in. I will return in 23 hours and 15 minutes here on Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.